Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we discuss all things agronomy, high-yield management, and give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We will also gain insight from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts. Uh, Andrew, this is probably one that I've been the most excited about just because it's something that's uh, very pertinent, obviously, obviously, to decisions we're making right now. So go ahead and introduce our guest. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, you're, you're right. This is a, a topic that we get a lot of questions on. So I'm excited to have Dr. Dorvar uh, Ruiz Diaz from Kansas State University on here to talk about soil fertility and nutrient management. Uh, Dorvar, how are you doing? Very good. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share some of some of discussions and and and, and things about soil fertility. We're we're very excited to have you. We like to start our show, um, Dr. Dorovar, kind of with uh, uh, two questions. So first, give us a little bit about your background. Um, maybe tell us where you're from, where you went to school, and how you got to K State. Yes, um, uh, you may notice by my accent, I'm originally from from South America. So that's that's where I'm from. Uh, but I did all my uh, work and graduate school here in the U.S. in the Midwest. Actually, uh, have a master's in uh, soil fertility from the University of Illinois, uh, and then a PhD in soil fertility from Iowa State. Nice. Uh, and this, yeah. And then basically, <laughs> right after that, I, I came straight from grad school to to Kansas. So I it was a little bit more in the, you know, in the in the, in the center of the Corn Belt, and then uh, moving west a little bit. Have to learn about winter wheat and. Uh, drought also, which we do have here in Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are dealing with some wild weather, aren't you? It's, it's really crazy this year. So hopefully that will improve. Um, so anyways, that's, that's been a little bit of background kind of, um, uh, obviously my role here at K-State is, uh, uh soil fertility, um, apply soil fertility. Um, um, I'm a, uh, soil fertility specialist. Um, one of the things that I also do is, uh, oversees a soil testing lab, which we do have here at K-State. Um, so that's always uh, something nice to have. We do have um, a lot of uh, samples that are submitted by farmers, and so we get to see what's happening, what kind of issues we see across the state as well. Um, and on the research side, my my group, my lab, really focus a lot, um, obviously, on on different um, aspects of nutrient management, especially here in Kansas. So we do a lot of work on on nitrogen, phosphorus in particular. Um, and, and obviously other other nutrients as well as as needed, but really try to meet the needs of of uh, you know the type of questions we're getting from farmers and so on. So that's that tends to be a little bit of, of our research uh, program. Well, I'm excited to dive into that, and I know we've got lots of questions. Before we do soil fertility, we like to ask our guests a question. Uh, when you think about just the whole ag sector. Um, not necessarily soil science. What has you most excited today? Yes, uh, that's that's, a, that's an excellent question. And um, in general, I would say, you know, agriculture, we are just really in a point now we are basically in the center uh, to provide many solutions to problems that we see in society. And so that's a little bit of a bigger picture, right? But, you know, we are able to provide solutions in terms of food security, in terms of environment, and, and that's just really exciting. Uh, you know, a lot of our graduates are going and doing different things, uh, really uh, providing some big impact uh, in, in that area. Um, 
For me, in particular, in the area of soils and soil fertility, obviously a lot more emphasis and kind of going back to the, the role of soils, uh, you know, from the soil health standpoint, nutrient management, there seems to be a renewed interest. And, and again, that really exciting, again, for somebody like me working in soils, which Sometimes it's a little boring, but again, it seems like more and more we are, we are, we are seeing uh, the the role that we can play in, in terms of agriculture and, and just providing solutions. And so, uh, I think again, just exciting time to be in agriculture for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Well, no, I I I agree. I mean, it's it's a huge, it's it's very fascinating that the science and in and the importance of soil fertility and nutrient management. You know, there, there's a lot of factors, and and I mean, you watch the news, and we, we know how important it is for food food security and all that. So, I'm I'm glad that you're here, and and I figured that we would start. You know, it, it's it's becoming more and more um, important as we we look at the increasing yields that growers across the Corn Belt are are able to reach with with both corn, soy, wheat, you know, all, all the other crops that we grow, you know, I think macros and, and especially more micros as we increase yields are becoming more, more of a limiting factor. And so, you know, we get a lot of questions about ratios of certain nutrients. We get, we get questions on soil test analysis. And so I, I figured we'd start the conversation um, as, a, a, as a professional and, and as a soil test or a soil fertility expert, where do your eyes go first when you're looking at a soil test? Mm. Yeah, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And um, you mentioned many things there. You mentioned, uh, you know, micronutrient needs and, and secondary nutrients, maybe things that we didn't think about in the past. Um, and you know that when I talk to producers, oftentimes that tends to be uh, where they go and look, right? What's happening with the micronutrients and so on. My approach is a little bit different. When I look at salt test report, first, I like to see, okay, what is the pH? Okay, yeah. kind of go back to the basics, right? Um, and, and then follow that order, you know, look at the, the organic matter, which is obviously play a big role in how nutrients are, um, you know, retained in the soil, what's released. Uh, and so kind of look at those first things, you know, in, in that order. And, 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 it's, and it's funny because, you know, producers sometimes, like, like, like I mentioned, they will go to micronutrients and worry about that. But, hey, you miss a huge pH problem that you see here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, and so I, I like to follow that order, right? Uh, uh, try to look that big picture, the basics, and then start going from there. What else may be limiting factor when you look at that soil test report? So I'm going to ask a question, and I feel like I feel like this alone could probably be an entire <laughs> podcast. It's a very philosophical question, I guess. But you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation both from um, from the consumer but also from the ag world, just around this concept of soil health and cover crops, um, uh, protecting, protecting our soil. When you hear that, where does your mind go? I mean, talk, talk to me about soil health. Yes, you're right. I think that could be another hour. Uh, just... <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 But, but yes, it's, um, it is a it's a it's an excellent question, and 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 I think we all maybe look at this a little bit differently, right? And 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 the the beauty I think of the concept of soil health is it really involves multiple disciplines and multiple uh, mm -hmm. components. And and I think that's the first thing we need to to realize that I don't know that there's really a single uh, definition. Uh, maybe we can come up with a definition, but again, different experts are looking at this a little bit from a different angle. Um, I'm working with, uh, you know, biologists, uh, uh, working with, with people in um, engineering and, and other disciplines are, are 
contributing to this. And so that's one thing that I like about so this concept in general, that you know, we have opportunities to, to, to contribute uh, with different disciplines. Uh, myself, I, I look at soil health a little bit more, obviously, from the nutrient uh, standpoint. Um, my definition will typically be uh, the capacity of that soil to grow crops, right? Yep. Uh, to have good yields and, and, and healthy crops. Uh, and, and so that's that's really my emphasis. And, and that goes back also to um, how is nutrient becoming available in that soil? There's yeah. going to be other many, many factors affecting nutrient availability. And so that's really where I, I like to see more the uh, my, my focus on soil health in general. Um, the other thing, too, is that in soil, soil health, uh, you know, and soil fertility, actually, um, we talk a lot about soil tests, soil analysis, the chemistry. But in reality, soil fertility, availability of the nutrients is a big factor, right? Absolutely. And sometimes we have the nutrients in the soil, but the crops are not be able to take up the nutrients, right? Is that also part of the of the uh, soil fertility discipline? And soil health, we are talking about things like soil physics, right? Um, you know, do we have compaction? Do we have other issues that may be limiting root growth and nutrient uptake? Um, and so again, Having that those components, not just the chemistry, but also what happened with the physics, uh, the, the the physical properties of the soil, um, drainage, all of that kind of things, and obviously the biology, right? The biology is a big part of that because, again, from the fertility standpoint, uh, breakdown of residue and nutrient release largely happening through cycling and microbial activity, and so. Always, again, go back to the chemistry, the physics, and the biology. All of this is playing a role in fertility, and it's the way I see soil health, really. I, I, we always look for nuggets to pull out of these podcasts, and I think you're the first person that's used the term, or at least in a conversation that I've heard, the multiple disciplines. And I think, Andrew, like my mind immediately goes to, we don't love blowing off the combine when we leave a field. We don't love greasing the combine, right? But it's but it's it's an asset. It's a vehicle for our crop production. And I guess I love that idea of a discipline because it seems like when I think about soil health, my mind a lot of times goes to practices that require additional effort and energy yeah. and often resources. And sometimes those resources aren't immediately traced to profitability. So I really like the term discipline because that discipline you know, points to a, a longer look maybe than the immediate growing season, but what, what disciplines are important to protect our soil over a long period of time. I, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Let's talk about pH. So, so from uh, your, your perspective and in, in your area of expertise, what, what is soil pH? Yes. And, and for us, obviously that's a key, key variable that we need to look uh, because of the role in nutrient uh, availability and, 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 and obviously promoting plant growth in general. Um, uh, well, basically, if we, we start about the definition with soil pH, and, and this is important to keep in mind also, what are we talking about when we measure pH? And pH is really the concentration of hydrogen in the soil, right? That's really the definition. It's a logarithmic scale, which is something that brings another good point, which is, um, you know, when we are looking at small changes in pH, we're really talking about tenfold increase in yeah. acidity in the soil, yep. okay? So that, this is important to think about because, you know, you're saying, well, uh, you know, a pH of, you know, 6.5 or, or 6, you know, there's really not a big difference in terms of units, but in terms of acidity, it's a big, big, uh, big difference. And it can have a big effect on, on crop growth and nutrient availability. And so that's always something that we need to kind of keep in the back of the mind. Okay, what are we talking about here? Um, and so that, again, that, that definition. 
And what we really measure is the, the active acidity in the soil. What's, what's the hydrogen content there? Um, and again, what could be um, uh, potentially the impact of, of, of that acidity in terms of nutrient supply, availability, there are gonna be some nutrients that basically directly depend on uh, pH level to, um, to be available. A lot of the micronutrients in things like iron, zinc, all of those are highly affected by, by, by pH. Um, uh, on the especially high pH that can can affect, and then uh, obviously um, in the case of low pH, we have uh, similar problems. We have uh, nutrients that may be not available, and you can get to the point obviously where uh, you have aluminum toxicity, which is yeah. very low uh, lower pH, and you have some problems uh, to crops, especially more sensitive crops like legumes uh, that sometimes can be more sensitive. Yeah. Well, as we continue to talk pH. Um, you know, again, I, I have a soil test analysis in front of me and, and just asking questions that maybe a, a grower would want to hear or, or other crop consultants. What What is buffer pH and, and why is it important? Yes, um, th this is a common question. And, and I'm glad you asked this um, because we understand pH, but then what's, what's the buffer pH? And it's always a little bit higher. And, and we, we're trying to understand what that is. And um, and again, the the the, the the pH, the water pH, essentially, that's basically the active acidity, what's basically in solution. Uh, but the buffer pH is giving us uh, an index, an indication, basically, of what's in the, um, um, uh, what we call the reserve acidity, basically, the hydrogen that's going to be in the exchange sites of the soil that could be in clays, organic matter, and so on. This is important, really, for lime recommendation, and that's the main uh, the main purpose of the buffer pH is to develop lime recommendation rates. And so if we're trying to, we have a, a low pH, let's say we have a five and we have a lime recommendation that we need to bring to uh, something like six, four or something, um, that buffer pH is going to tell us how much uh, reserve acidity we have and how much lime is going to be needed for, for, for to apply basically to bring that pH to the target that we're looking for. And so that's really the main use. Um, but again, we're trying to see what's what's really that reserve acidity, what's what's um, in the in the buffer basically of that soil yeah. in terms of hydrogen. What, what what influences the buffer pH? You know, if you talk reserve acidity, what what is it about the soil, uh, you know, the, the soil texture that would influence buffer pH? Yes, and and again, it's it's really um, uh, related to to the components of the soil that are going to have a negative charge, and this is basically going to be clays, clay fraction, uh, and organic matter, right? And so these, these are the, the, the two main drivers of that buffer, buffer content of the soil and obviously the buffer pH. In other words, um, um, for example, if we, if we do have a, a sandy soil with low organic matter versus a more fine textured clay soil with higher organic matter, um, the buffer pH will be different for those two. Even though they have the same pH, the buffer pH can be different which means we may need different rates of lime to basically get to the same pH level with those two different soils. And so, so that's the, the, the advantage of the buffer pH is bringing us that into, the, into one scale where we can basically look at different soil types and we know exactly how much lime we need to apply to reach that, that target pH. Um, and again, that will be highly uh, dependent on texture, uh, uh, organic matter content, Ultimately, again, also uh, cardio exchange capacity, CEC, which is a measure of, of this as well. 
So let's talk about calcium carbonate. What is it? Calcium carbonate um, is um, basically a compound that is, is uh, has both calcium and carbonate. It's uh, uh, essentially what we use primarily as a lime source, right? Calcium carbonate. Um, uh, uh, but we can have two two forms of, of lime, basically, primarily. We have the calcitic, which is a calcium carbonate, um, and we can have dolomitic, which is uh, magnesium, uh, instead of the calcium, essentially. But we still have a carbonate component there. How does a, a grower's, you know, you, you, you kind of gave a really good definition of, of the calcium carbonate. You know, it, it's basically what um, our limestone's composed of, right? So how, yes. how, do, how does a grower's choice, you know, we have all these different options. How does a grower's choice of the lime product impact the calcium carbonate equivalent, you know, which, which is often used when, when thinking about the, the whole liming process? Yes, this is, this is a very good question. And um, in reality, either we were using um, calcitic or dolomitic limestone, um, the effect on, on, on pH uh, will generally be the same. Um, they really not make no difference in terms of which we use unless we want to apply um, um, uh, magnesium instead of calcium for whatever reason, right? We have a deficiency of magnesium, but which is very rare in, in most of the, the corn belt uh, right. to see that problem. So essentially we can go with either calcitic or dolomitic limestone. So that's not a, an issue there. Um, um, one thing that we need to, to, to discuss here is also how is limestone and calcium carbonate basically affect pH, how it's increasing pH. Yeah. And one thing that I want to emphasize here um, is that really what's affecting the pH, what neutralizing the acidity is the carbonate. It's not the calcium. And, and this is, just want to emphasize this a little bit because I, I get this question often is that, okay, well, well I'm applying calcium, but it has no effect on, on, on pH. We can apply calcium if it is a, a different type of calcium without carbonates, then uh, again, not going to have an effect on, 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 on pH. Uh, but that reaction that happens in the soil when you have a calcium carbonate basically breaks down into calcium and carbonate. And that carbonate fraction will basically react with the hydrogen and basically uh, result in basically water and CO2. And so we're basically getting rid of that hydrogen, which is really the acidity in the soil. Okay. And so, so that's really a key, key, key process that we need to keep in mind. So whether or not we're going to know uh, if, a, if a lime source or, or anything that we are applying is going to have an effect on pH, we, we need to, to understand that the carbonate is the one that's going to be reacted there. Yeah. Do, do, you, do you have a lime, you know, thinking about crop production across the Corn Belt, and obviously we got, you probably deal more with high pH in, in that area, and, and then Iowa's typically, you know, lower pH, especially with all the anhydrous that we use. <laughs> do you have a preference with... Uh, uh, a lime source? Yes, and that's another good question, right? And and, and here is where we bring concepts like uh, effective calcium carbonate and and, and 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 the different types of lime and sources. And and yes, uh, that's one of the challenges, right? That lime sources are going to vary a lot depending on where it's coming from, how fine it is, how how pure it is. And and so here's where we bring the concept of effective calcium carbonate basically try to put all the lime sources into one scale, if you yep. will, right? And so uh, what is effective calcium carbonate? Basically two components. Uh, one is the purity, um, uh, the calcium carbonate equivalent. So basically how, how pure, how much um, calcium carbonate is in, the, in that material, which is, again, a, a rock source of, of some sort, some 
some source, natural source. Um, and then how fine is the material, right? Because the finer the material, the quickly, quicker is gonna be that reaction in the soil and it's gonna neutralize that acidity. So those two components are, are things that we take into account and develop the calcium carbonate equivalent. And so with these, we can put all the lime sources into one scale. And so we're gonna have some lime sources that are gonna be you know, highly pure, very fine, uh, which could be, you know, easily 90% uh, calcium, effective calcium carbonate, which again, we have to apply less volume uh, of, of, that, of, that, uh, of that line source to, to reach the, the goal that we're looking for. Um, and so this, now going back to your question, what, what's, what will be my preference? Um, and here will, here's where I think economics play a big factor because um, obviously, the, the pure, uh, high calcium uh, carbon equivalent source are going to be more expensive, yep. but also you need to, transportation is going to be lower because you don't have to hold too much of that material as well. And so, so I think in this case, it's really a, a situation that will change depending on where you are, um, depending on the producer um, and what's available in, the, in that place, in that, in that uh, location. Yep. Um, to me, as long as we are using the effective calcium carbonate equivalent um, uh, number, that's all we need to to, to worry about. Uh, is you don't it, have to worry too much about different sources. Is it a fair question then? So let's say you haven't soil sampled in a while, and all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, way out of whack. You're 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 way too low. So then, would the fastest way to make an adjustment be to go to a high concentrate? fine is that if the calcium carbonate ratio is the same will a finer more pure source adjust the ph faster or will it happen at the same speed regardless if the calcium carbonate if the if the concentrate is the same yes um again since we are applying based on the effective calcium carbonate uh equivalent value then um the effect should be the same right the, the only difference is that we need, you know, a more lower lower quality lime, if you will. You need to apply more of that. Basically. Yeah, yeah, that, so that would be the, the the main difference, right? Versus a more pure, more fine material, you need to apply less. Yep. Um, but the, goal, the the what we're gonna achieve is is the same, and so. Um, but you bring another good point, which is the time of reaction, and yeah. and, and this is something that we often get that question is how quickly we can expect for that pH to, to change. And, yeah. and one thing that we need to, to kind of going back to the early, how is that reaction happen? One key component here is water, right? And so we're just talking early on, we have drought conditions and so on. Uh, you know, when conditions are dry and we're applying lime, obviously it's gonna take longer for that reaction to happen. And so, and so it will vary a little bit depending on conditions, right? We have good moisture, um, the reaction can happen in a matter of about, we say about three to six months. Usually most of the reaction tend to take place. Uh, and again, that can be a little bit faster or a little bit slower depending on, on, on the dry, uh, dry conditions. Um, dry conditions that we see here in Kansas, you know, a lot of that lime you apply and just sitting there in the surface. Right. Yeah. Nothing happened if you don't get any moisture. And so again, that's, that's a key factor there. So, um, I guess I'm not giving exactly a, a, a time frame there, but uh, typically in ideal conditions, we're talking a few months. Yeah. Uh, well, and we'll we'll talk we'll talk when we talk about kind of the practical application or the management side. I think a little bit about maybe best practices uh, around application timing. 
Yeah. So what, what's your thoughts? You know, we have, we have all these different sources and, and you've kind of touched on that on, on, on some of the, the different options as far as Lyme, but you know, we, we have here, here in Iowa and, and I'm sure, I guess I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming the, the options, but you know, we have, we have sludge Lyme uh, available here in, in Iowa. You know, we have, we have egg Lyme, we have gypsum. What, what's your, what's your thoughts on all those and, and maybe even more so just the, the sludge Lyme? Yes. And in that case we have water, right? And so, uh, that, that's again it really a lot of it tends to be more related to me to the practicality of using the sources uh and 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 how feasible is for the farmer again if we're going back to are we putting the effective calcium carbon equivalent amount that we need uh then we are meeting the requirements yeah. uh, but some of them will be very challenging to apply for example and that that's where we we get into some of these conversation does it make sense economically is it practical for the farmer um can we do a good job applying? That's another key factor. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, we haven't even, we haven't talked too much about uh, how are we putting, but one thing that I always tell farmers is that, you know, and those farmers are doing great sampling. You look at your pH in the field <laughs> and you can go from, you know, pH seven to pH five within the same field, highly variable. Yeah, definitely. And so Lyme really needs to be applied as a variable rate application. That's always my suggestion. Yep. Uh, if there's one input that needs to be variable rate, that's Lyme. Because one of the challenges is also you, you don't want to overapply Lyme. Because now you're going to the other issue where we have high pH and maybe micronutrients become an issue, right? And so, so really you want to apply what's needed. And, and, uh, and obviously it's a very expensive uh, uh, input as well, right? So, so I think it's, uh, that's, that's one thing that we need to, to keep in mind. Um, now, but going back now, you mentioned things like gypsum as well. And, and I'm glad you bring that up because uh, this goes back again to what we discussed. What, what is going to be the, 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 the component of that line that's going to be reacting with the hydrogen and the acidity is the carbonate. And if you think about gypsum, gypsum is calcium sulfate. Right? So we don't have a carbonate in the gypsum. And so it's really not going to affect pH. Okay. So... Yes, it is still a very good source of calcium because we're putting calcium. So if we need calcium, that's, a, that's an option. Uh, obviously, we, we have sulfur, and we are seeing more and more sulfur needs quite a oh, bit yeah. in, in, that, in different systems. Yes, and so there's a lot of benefits there from, from gypsum. There are also some potential in terms of um, physical properties of the soil that may be providing some benefit that way. Um, but as a lime source, uh, gypsum is not an option. So that 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 is a very common question as well, and I, like I say, I'm glad you bring that up because uh, I hear this all the time. Uh, you know, we and going back to the question to, to the point that you know I'm putting calcium. Why is the the pH is not changing? Well, but we need to apply the carbonate. That's really what's yeah, reacting yeah, there. Yeah. Um, let's, let's transition here and let's talk about, um, a really important part of the soil science, which is the cation exchange capacity or CEC. Um, why is it so important? And when you look at these soil tests, what does it mean? Yes, that, that's an excellent point is, um, and sometimes it's also something that we don't, we don't, uh, in many cases we do have recommendations that are affected by CEC. Uh, but not always, like for us in Kansas, we don't use it necessarily for recommendations. But uh, CEC is really a measure of the negative charge of the soil, right? That's, that's essentially what it is. We're measuring the charge of that soil. Um, what's the factors affecting that CEC? Uh, 
will be again primarily clay uh, and organic matter, which is the source of that negative charge of the soil. And why it is important? That's that's a question, right? Why, why is this is important? That charge, negative charge, is important because a lot of the nutrients uh, that are important to us for crop production is going to be positive charge, which means we want those to be retained in the soil and holding in that soil, right? So the, the more negative charge we have, the soil is going to do a much better job in holding ammonium, uh, you know, potassium, calcium, all the all the nutrients that are important to us. Yep. And so that's that's why it's so important. Um, um, and, and it's often also, you know, an indication of things like organic matter uh, texture, obviously. Yep. And so you can you can say a lot from CDC looking at that number, you can tell, okay, this soil is more likely a sandy soil. Yeah. Without looking at the texture, you can look at the CEC. It's very likely a sandy soil, or uh, at least in our region, we, we can say that. Or you can say maybe very likely has very low organic matter. And that's already telling you something about potential issues, right? Uh, potential management in terms of potential losses of nitrogen, for example, that we may have and things like that. Yeah. So um, so as we look at and, and talk about the CEC, sh should... You know, I'm th I'm picturing looking at a soil analysis and getting that. You know, you, you got your whatever your two and a half acre grids or whatever whatever your your uh, sampling you know ac acres are per sample, and and you get your CEC, and and then thinking about making fertilizer applications or recommendations based on that. So should we be should the CEC impact, um, or should we take more you know put put more consideration on that CEC when making fertilizer applications? And, and I ask that because you know. I remember often hearing about, um, you know, if you're looking at how much nitrogen a soil can hold, for example, you, you often look at the CEC and, and roughly just multiply times 10, right? And, and that will that will give you a rough idea of how much nitrogen the soil can hold. Is, is that something that, that we should really be taking into consideration when we're looking at how much fertilizer to put on specific soil textures and, and areas within a field? It, it is it is one thing that, uh, like I say, some... Some recommendation system will will use that information for that exact purpose, and and um, and and that will vary a little bit. Uh, for us here in Kansas, we typically don't do that. I know in other states they 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 do consider that essentially as a part of the recommendation that you mentioned for nitrogen. Uh, one is one example. Uh, it's also often used also for potassium, um, and so so it is it is a a, a possibility. Um, uh, and and I think it's completely valid uh, because again, if you think about nitrogen, for example, um, uh, if you have a low CC soil, um, perhaps a more sandy soil, low organic matter soil, potential for losses of that nitrogen is much higher. Right? Yeah. And so we probably need to be thinking about uh, splitting, for example, that nitrogen split yeah. application. We we cannot put everything at once uh, because we may be losing some of that nitrogen. And so. So that's that's where I think we 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 can we can use this information very very uh, uh, a very useful way uh, to make these kind of decisions. You, um, you got me you got me thinking about something that it it, it kind of re it it relates to this. You know, I remember before we had all these conversations about you know the the golf and and soil or water quality and, and nutrient leaching and, and the impact of what what we do on on the on the water in, in our area, if. You know, I'm just thinking back 10 or 15 years when when growers would just load up on nitrogen oh, yeah. and, and potassium, right? They would just spread like it two, on, 280 <laughs> pounds of nitrogen. And, you know, if you think about the the CEC and the capacity for that those soil colloids to hold those positively charged ions, 
What what happens if if say we load up on nitrogen and, and we have, you know, we put NH3 on that, NH3 converts to NH4, and we just have a massive amount of uh, ammonium ions binding to the soil. If, if we just load up on one nutrient that's positively charged, does that impact the soil's ability to hold other positively charged ion, you know, fertilizer ions? Yeah, in, in theory, yes. Um, and, and actually, that's exactly what happened. You mentioned potassium, and in the lab, we use ammonium acetate, right, yeah. to, to really extract potassium. And so what we're doing is we're replacing one uh, cation by, by the other. And, 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 and so we, we use that concept in the lab, essentially. We saturate the soil with, with one cation, and, and so we can extract the other one. And so, so yes, that's, that's, uh, that's definitely uh, something that, that can happen. Um, and, uh, obviously, uh, how much of that happened in the field is a good question, right? And where is that going? Is that maybe just moving deeper in the profile? Um, very likely. Um, uh, but yes, in, in theory, that's exactly what happened. And that's what we actually do in the lab. It, that When we started the conversation around soil health, part of me thinks, and I, I go back to the term discipline, right? Like the the idea of let's make sure we're applying nutrients in a way that are available to the intended yep. target yep. and that that ultimately benefit the soil. You know, looking looking at a soil test, um, you know, the results, you you get the percent base saturation, right? You you get you get a, a, a specific set of numbers, you know, it's potassium, mag, cal, hydrogen, uh, sodium, right? And so what what is the percent base saturation? Yeah, the percent base saturation is basically um, uh, the amount of uh, base cations that we have there, things like calcium, magnesium, potassium, basically divided by the Cs, right? And so it basically we want to give us an indication of, of from that total CEC in the soil, how much of that is basically uh, base, base cations. So that's that's really the, the, the that indication, right? And so all of these are nutrients that are going to be important, right? Yeah. Um, potassium, calcium, magnesium, all of these are going to be important. What percent of the CEC is, is basically occupied by, by these nutrients? That's that's basically that indication. How, how, how does, what, what's the difference between, you know, you have, you have your base, percent base saturation. What What is the, the base cation saturation ratio? You know, I've, I've you know, what, what is that and what's different? Yes, that's an excellent point. And, and here's where we're getting a little bit more of the use of this concept to for fertility management, right? And and so the, the the base cation saturation ratio is basically looking at okay within those um, base cations what's the ratio of those for example if you're looking mm. calcium versus magnesium calcium versus potassium uh, what's what's the ratio of those of those uh, cations there right and so that's really what we're looking for when you're talking about base ca base cation saturation ratio um, and it's I'm glad you bring this up because this is an one concept that has been discussing for soil fertility for for decades. Uh, and 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 the theory behind this is that you know there are some ideal ratio of these cations that needs to be in the soil, basically to be available and provide you know ideal conditions uh, to crops. And so that's really the, the the theory behind that that theory of of using the base cation saturation ratio. Um, now this has been again a lot of a lot of discussion on this, a lot of uh, debates uh, on 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 whether or not this is actually uh, needed. Do we need to be, for example, putting more calcium to kind of fix some of these ratios or not? Yeah. Uh, and this kind of go back a little bit to the question earlier about gypsum. You know, 
this is this is one example where many uh, people may say, okay, well, my ratios are not where it should be, and so we'll need to put more calcium. And so one way to do that is gypsum, right? And and without affecting the pH as well. And so that's 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 one of the theories. Um, now, like I said, there has been a lot of studies, a lot of um, evaluation of these. The other the other theory, uh, basically on soil fertility, basically says that you know you need to apply what's the limiting factor. Yeah. Right? Okay. yeah. Um, rather than trying to go after some ideal ratios, uh, well, we just need to be looking at what's needed. Do we need to put more calcium? We need well, we put more calcium. Do we need more potassium? We put more potassium. We don't have to worry about the ratios necessarily that's the other theory um what is that limiting factor and 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 all the the the, the data and there are actually been some even some more recent uh studies on these and and, and publications looking at uh data um that really don't support uh the need to go after this base uh cardio saturation ratio we don't there's really no effect on yields uh productivity so from the soil fertility standpoint there hasn't been any um uh, strong data to support this uh, this approach, um, and like I said, there have been this is a lot old concept, um, a lot of um, discussion about this in the 70s, but more recently in the last few years, there have been a lot of new studies as well to to look at this a little bit closer, and the findings are basically the same that we we don't really see an effect on yields essentially. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, as we get near the end of the science portion, um, let's talk a little bit about phosphorus and help us, if you would, understand when would we use Bray, Malik, and the Olson test uh, when we're looking at phosphorus? Yes, uh, this, this is a very, very good question. And, and um, for example, for us here in Kansas, we, we're talking a little bit about pH. We have high pH and we also have low pH, uh, depending on where you are, and, and we have kind of extremes. Um, and so here's where things like um, soil test methods for phosphorus can make a difference, right? If you are in a situation where you can go from different types of, of soil conditions, uh, we need to be able to cover all the, the, the conditions. And um, in the case of Bray, for example, which is something that has been used for, for many years, I was actually, was a, I was a graduate student in Illinois. I was uh, they're in the lab where they develop the Bray salt, okay. right? And so it's mm, nice. <laughs> so it's been so it's been it's been around for um, uh, one of the the early ones, highly used in the in the in the in the corn belt, um, and it works very well, very well calibrated, um, especially for more uh, you know neutral and acidic soils. Um, one challenge that we see with the Bray for us here, when you're going, for example, western part of the state, you have some of the calcareous soils suddenly you start to see a little bit of an issue with the prey. And here's where we need to think about other soil test methods. Um, uh, for example, you're going more on the Great Plains, the Olsen uh, soil test method is a more appropriate because it really focus more on those high pH calcareous soils. It would have a better job there. Um, and so this is a little bit of the, the extreme. And then we have Melic 3, which uh, what we found, and we've done a lot of studies uh, here in our lab looking at different soil test methods. And the Melic 3 is where we find that actually can do a better job out across a wide range of, of soil conditions. Um, for example, in the case for us, where we have high pH and low, low pH, we find that the Melic 3 is really the, the best option we have uh, in the case of phosphorus. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, uh, obviously, a lot of these, um, one of the things that I want to emphasize is that 
you know, we have, you, you mentioned specifically Bray, Melig, and Olsen, but, you know, there are other new tests also that's been developed, like H3A and, and other new ones uh, out there. But at the end of the day, what really matters is um, the calibration, the correlation and calibration component of these tests. In other words, do we have data to show that these tests are correlated well to yield response? That's the thing is really what's what really matters here because otherwise, point. yeah, you can you can have a number, but what that yeah. means for what good your does that soil, do, right? right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 so and so that that's that's what um uh for somebody like me, that's the exciting part, right? Uh being able to to have this this lab number and, and be able to to bring these and say, okay, um we have certain probability of your response to phosphorus applications based on these. And we know it works well for certain soil, soil conditions. Um, so again, this is the point with this is that some of these methods uh, tend to be a little bit more specific for the region. And I think uh, uh, we have to keep that in mind. How, how well are these methods working for us in our region? Uh, that's, that's always something that we need to keep a little bit in the back of our mind and, and that we have the data to support that. Yeah. Well, Dr. Diaz, um... This has been excellent. Thank you very much for discussing the science behind soil fertility, nutrient management, and helping us interpret these tests. Um, we will be back with part two, where we'll discuss management, but greatly appreciate you sharing your expertise with us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. We love your feedback. Please email us at a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com. That's a penny, the number four, your thoughts at gmail.com, or reach out to Andrew and I on our social media. Thank you for tuning in.